0: Welcome back to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kovarek. And Tara Vanerdusen. And together we
1: bring you our professional farming opinions on trending topics in the ag and food space. We're ag like you've never seen or heard it before. Welcome back to episode 74 of Discover Ag, brought to you by Case IH, to the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and even share some of your own. Built by farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of
0: the Discover Ag podcast. Happy Thursday discos. For some of you listening, that means you are one day closer to Friday and a Yay. weekend. And for others listening, it means you will be doing the same thing on Saturday as you did on Friday, as you'll do on Sunday because you're in agriculture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that you use the word disco because I'm leaning hard into it. I just got a phone case with disco balls all over the back. So,
0: oh, I'm not leaning that hard into it, but I do feel. Like it's, it's got a catch. I like it. It's catching for sure. So we had big weekends. I feel like normally we don't have big weekends, but we had. We were weekend girls. We had big weekends. We did. How was the rodeo, rodeo girl? It was good. So I got to attend um, the American, which is a rodeo down in Texas. Um, and when I originally got the call for it. Luke was like, no way. That is such a fun rodeo. It, it has a million dollar payout, which is like one of the highest payouts you can get in rodeo. So there's a lot of excitement for that reason. And so I knew going into it, I would have a lot of fun, but I do not think I was prepared for how much fun I'd have. It was, it was a phenomenal weekend. Was Luke sad he didn't get to go Oh, definitely. He knew though with like the workload on the ranch that he wouldn't be able to, so I think that kind of helped part of it like he just knew immediately he's not going to be able to attend. But I brought along another friend and we had a blast. It was really fun to meet, I got to meet content creators that I've only met online, which sounds silly, but it's not only really fun to connect with people in real life, but and I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but I am creating content alone a majority of the time. And so it's really fun to get together with other people that like share that passion or extremely creative, like creating videos and doing different things. So it's always really fun for me to get with other creators because I'm like, normally I'm just out here like, in, I don't know, in the fields and the pastures with the cows by myself. <laughs> and this weekend I had other women that were, we were making fun reels and TikToks and videos, which I know is so foreign to some people, but I think other people will like get that idea of camaraderie.
1: Um, I mean, that's, we met online and then we met in real life and then it blossomed into this beautiful partnership friendship we have now. So, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people get that, that like online friendships become like real and you relate to them in ways you don't relate to other people. I was having FOMO while you were there, but I was very happy where I was. I was in the sand dunes in Glamis, California, doing all the sand dune things, glamping. Um, it was We were not camping because we were not in a tent, but it was still like off the grid.
0: Did you RV say glamping?
1: five days. Yeah. Or camping. I said glamping because I had a shower. So I feel like you can't say camping unless you are in a tent.
0: I've feel like you have not been introduced to the proper term of glamping what you were doing over the weekend was not glamping I got home and I promise you one of the first things in the within the first five minutes of talking to Luke he was like did you watch Tara's stories and I was like yeah (laughs) he's like my worst nightmare my worst nightmare
1: why would that be a worse nightmare? So, we were in, like, if you know what Glamis is, we were in, like, side by sides, off roading, and more than that, like, my dad has, like, a buggy. We were, like, drag racing, um, doing all of those things. It was amazing. It was honestly, I begged Daniel to stay for an extra day, and he said no, because we have to, like, go to work. Our children have to go to school. But I wanted to stay so bad. I loved it. I have, I love being in the sand dunes.
0: The monotony of everyday life. Our children have to go to school, we have to work. <laughs> I know. We we have gosh, to get back it. to real life. If only I could have just rodeoed, you know, for all the days. And you could just glamp in the yeah. glampus wherever it is for the rest of our <laughs>
1: days. Oh, my gosh. You're <laughs> killing me. Okay.
0: Another highlight of the rodeo was I got to listen to Kojo. He was the one of the performers, Cody Johnson. And it um, was phenomenal, which was actually a really neat thing about the American that typically – at least rodeos I haven't been to have never done it in this capacity, but they did the events of the rodeo and then they kind of did like an intermission with the concert and then they finished out the rodeo. And so it was this really nice fluidity. I feel like it, you never got tired of what was going on, which rodeos are extremely high fast paced to begin with, but I just loved the, how we went from the rodeo to the music to the rodeo. Honestly, it was phenomenal not to keep rubbing in people's faces, but if you have ever not, Like if you've ever wanted to attend a rodeo, highly recommend the American. It's just one day. They did add a night before. I think they're trying to make it a two day event, but it it's, it's a great, it's, I could not give it more stars than it deserves.
1: Yeah. I just, I lived
0: vicariously through you
1: you and your stories this weekend on Instagram and that was enough for me. It's funny that you've
0: never been to a rodeo.
1: Oh, I've been to a rodeo. I've been in a rodeo, but I am just not that into
0: it. Can we go back to, horse. okay, I was going to say, I, I would love to hear this story. Tara in her <laughs> radio.
1: I, I know because I am not Western at all. Like no. I mean, I get that I'm in ag, but I don't associate ag with Western for me personally. Um, but I um, was in, yeah, I did a barrel race. I, I had a friend that was super into barrel racing. So I, you know, ended up barrel racing with her one weekend. So do we have home videos? No, thank God. Mm. My gosh, VHS tapes. That's a flashback. <laughs> Don't tell my daughter Guinevere because she will be
0: like, wait, now I want a horse.
1: I, a horse I want a
0: horse. I always think it's funny that you think Western and agriculture are so different. I do agree there are definitely differences. But I think that's what I love so much about rodeos and why I'm so happy at them is because I do think at the core, the people that are in agriculture are the same type of people that are in like the Western lifestyle. You know, there's... The ties to the land, caring for animals, um, religion, like faith. uh, We open with a prayer. Cody Johnson even said a prayer during his concert. Um, Like, I, I think there's a commonality. And so I just feel like I think that's why I'm so happy at Rodeos, too. It's this common ground of people I love to be around. And I think that's a crossover from like Western to agriculture.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I think there is, I think uh, cattle ranchers associate more with Western. I think row crop farmers are like a different breed and then like dairy is a different breed and then like all the other things too.
0: So Putting us in our little boxes, Tara. I am. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Let's do this. Yeah, let's jump into our top three tending topics in this week. You guys, we have good ones. Very excited about them. We're always excited. But you know, what's been really fun is you guys, the discos are starting to send us articles. And that's been really fun to open up DMs because Tara and I can only do so much. And you guys have found some really good stuff for us. So keep it coming. If you see things in the news that you think we could lend our voice to, send them our way. We love it when you guys do that. Okay. First up, you guys, we're covering made in the USA, question mark. Proposed rule clarifies grocery meat labels.
1: This one is a controversial one. This is There's not a unanimous vote on one way or another on this. It's kind of all
0: over the board. I do think it's very nuanced. So hopefully we can keep our thoughts pretty streamlined and short for you guys. We need our second, to say nuanced. We do use that word a lot, but it's a perfect word. Mm -hmm. Okay. Our second article is Ikea removing milk from menus to go all in on sustainability.
1: Gosh, it's just like two weeks in a row people coming after dairy. You know, (laughs) first they take away the word milk from us. Now they just don't even want to service it all. Like just just hit us when we're down.
0: Dairy has a target on your guys' back. I've said that for (laughs) a very long time. And I am happy to keep it on your back and off mine. So. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Okay, and our last and final article is health concerns grow as Oklahoma farmers fertilize cropland with treated sewage.
1: So I'm gonna try not to get like lost in the weeds on this one for you guys because I feel like this one is I could I could get carried
0: away on the sludge Being
1: conversation. In a,
0: only on Discover Ag the podcast could we say that we could get carried away talking about sludge. you're an environmental girly though this is right up your alley so it'll be fun to hear what you have to say
1: yep and the PFAS alley as well
0: Um, Before we dive into all of that, though, as you guys know, we always like to remind you of the giveaway that we do every single month. We'd love to shower you with gifts. And all we ask for in return is that you guys spread the word of the Discover Ag podcast. We are trying to grow and reach as many people as we can. And your guys' word of mouth, sharing on social, leaving reviews, it all helps. So to be entered in our monthly giveaway, all you have to do is anything of the above I mentioned. Tag us on socials. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. Spread the word of the Discover Ag, and at the end of the month, we pick one lucky winner that gets a whole goodie bag of our favorite things.
1: One other housekeeping item is we are not going to have a Discover newsletter once a month. And so we will include the link to sign up in the show notes, but it is going to be filled with some really great things once a month, articles that we can't get to on the podcast, other things that we're checking out in real life that Natalie and I are loving from products to white papers to books, podcasts, all the things. So you're going to want to be on that so that you can get exclusive content
0: from Discover Ag. I am pouring all of my blood, sweat, and tears into that email list, you guys. So someone, please go to the link in our show notes and sign up. One of you. Please. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. It's on. All right. Our first article title made in the USA question mark proposed rule clarifies grocery meat labels. Shoppers could soon find it easier to tell if these grocery store steaks or pork chops were really made in the USA. Federal agriculture officials on Monday released new requirements that would allow labels on meat, poultry, or eggs to use that phrase or product of USA only if they come from animals born, raised, slaughtered, and processed in the United States. That's a sharp change from current policy which allows voluntary voluntary use of such labels on products from animals that have been imported from a foreign country and slaughtered in the U.S., but also on meat that's been imported and repackaged or further processed.
1: So you mentioned there at the very end, but I think it's worth highlighting that right now products that are imported, like if a cow is imported and processed in the United States or if the beef is like somehow repackaged, it can have a US label on it, even if it started out someplace else. And this ruling is different than the cool rule, which the cool rules were country of origin on labels. And those had that ruling got rolled back in 2015 because it had all sorts of problems with trade disputes between um, Canada, Mexico. So that got rolled back. This is a whole new thing.
0: It is interesting to see this come back up because, as you mentioned cool is a hot topic in agriculture i think it's been a hot topic for a long time i think it will be continued to be a hot topic for a long time because as we'll discuss in the upcoming minutes there is a lot to cover with this you know one side versus the other side like you said tara i do think so there's this the, the one side of which I think a lot of people relate to, it seems very unfair for consumers, right? I think at the core of this, it's the hardest for consumers. They do see that label and I think associate one way. And there was even a line in the article that talked about that.
1: Yes, that was, I mean, that's why this is coming back up is they say that it's unfair to consumers because consumers think USA, like that stamp USA means that a cow was born in the United States and lived its entire life in the United States. And that's not what it means. And that's why they want to revisit this.
0: So that's one side. On the other hand, because I think everyone would be like, well, why? That makes no sense. We should, you know, this should change immediately. There is this other side um, that, this is kind of a nightmare for producers in the packing industry. It requires, you'd have to basically track animals through the entire system, which is not easy. I was listening to a podcast the other day and it talked about on average um, ownership uh, in the beef industry changes five different times. So it's very complicated to track that animal from start to finish. Um, It would have changed a lot from the processing packaging side. It would change a lot when we come to our blended products. So a lot of our hamburger uh, our ground product is a blend of several different animals, and that would likely change. So it just causes a lot more work and money into the entire process. And there was also trade uh, disagreements between this when it came to Mexico and Canada. And I think that was a uh, uh, that's a huge contention point for cool. Which again, this is not cool. I would say this is like a watered down version of cool, though. It's I feel like it's attempt at like a less a subtle cool, like. Not trying to draw attention. It's trying to, you know, be a, a cool, cool, like a, a less cool, cool, <laughs> a warmer, cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lukewarm, um, cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so crazy to me that beef is so different in that sense of dairy. Like we each can track every single cow, every single thing. And beef is completely different. Uh, I will say uh, some of the statistics that I found kind of interesting is I thought we were importing a lot more beef. Like I thought more per- – a larger percentage of our beef was being imported and it's just not. We actually only import about 12% of our beef, 6% of poultry, and less than 1% of our eggs are imported. So that – I don't know. That just surprised me. Did you know I was that? Shocked-
0: yeah, I was shocked by that too. I was kind of like kudos, you know, USA. Which going back to last week we talked about this a little bit in the last week podcast about USA being, you know, fairly food independent and yep. how important that is for us to to maintain that. So seeing these statistics kind of like further highlighted that and again made me really proud to be an American producer.
1: So 40% of buyers look for a USA label on their meat, which is a big percentage of people looking for that label. And only 12% of meat carry a label at all. Because you mentioned it's voluntary right now. Um, mm-hmm. So not very much meat on the shelf has it for how many people are looking for USA stamp. I am surprised that... Are you shocked by the 40%? Um, I guess I could have seen it be higher. But I mean, 40% seems like a lot too to actually say they were looking for it in the grocery store. Did you expect it to be higher? No, I expected it to be lower. Oh, really? You thought people would not care as much about it?
0: I don't know, I guess. I'm just, I'm working through this right now, live (laughs) on the podcast. (laughs) Well, while you're working through
1: that, I want to give a list of kind of where some different groups fall in this because we said it's not straightforward. Everyone doesn't agree. So Cattlemen's Association is pro-USA label. North American Meat Institute, which represents the Packers, is not happy about this, obviously. Like if there's somebody that's going to care the most about it, it's probably going to be the Packers or be the most opposed to it. It's going to be the Packers. They Their quote is, opposes over, overly prescriptive labeling requirements that will raise prices for consumers.
0: So I'm going to disagree with that statement because again, this is a hot topic it's a contention point within producers because there are producers who believe strongly that this needs to change there are it this is divides you know when i talk about that we have different organizations we can join as ranchers yeah this is actually i i feel like personally and there are probably going to be people tuning in that disagree with this but i do think some people base their decision on which organization to join a lot of it is cool i think it's a very it's just it's one of those topics in the beef industry that people disagree about. So there's that camp, again, that believes that that needs to be on there for U.S. producers. We need to be promoting U.S. beef. It needs to be transparent for the consumers. And then there's the other camp that is like very concerned about what that will entail at the producer level for changes we need to make on our day-to-day operation, not just from a cost standpoint, obviously from a cost standpoint, but also from like a time standpoint or energy standpoint what will we actually have to do to trace the animal? So there are other producers that are just not for it yet until they know what those, I think what the changes they'd have to, until they could actually see what they'd have to change on their operation. I think they're like, why are we pushing for this?
1: So on the flip side, National Cattlemen's Beef Association wants to eliminate labels. So that you literally, I named two different trade organizations that have absolutely opposing views. And then the packer industry is absolutely opposed to the, Label. So everybody is all over the board. What I find interesting is that we have to have these labels on fruits, vegetables, and fish. And so I'm like, we're doing it in other places. And I mean, this is me playing the devil's advocate as not a cattle rancher. Like we're able to do it for other industries. Why can't we do it for beef? And I understand the changing of ownership, like the more complicated system. Whereas I think fruits and vegetables or even fish, like they're packaged right there on site. You slap Mm -hmm. the label on it and like there they go off. Whereas this, it's like you're not going to like put a label on a live cow that's like coming on a boat from Brazil. So I know why it's more complicated, but at the same time, I'm seeing those labels in other places. And I'm sure that's probably what a lot of consumers are thinking is like, I see these labels in other places. Why don't I see them on my beef?
0: I was just going to say, I think that's probably confusing the the consumers too, which again, at the end of the day, that's who we care a lot about is the consumers. Yeah. And I do feel like out of this whole, it, it's a mess. Cool's a mess. This, this thing's going to be a mess. It's all, I, we should share that it's only a 60 day. What did they call it exactly? They called it comment a- period. Yes, it's a 60-day public comment period, so they are not actually changing anything. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of the 60-day. We will definitely be following this, uh, if not on the podcast, for sure, in the newsletter. But it's a mess. People will never agree on it. But I think who it hurts the most at the end of the day is the consumer, because I do think labels are confusing enough as it is, and this is just one one layer deeper deeper of confusion for consumers. Yep. I agree. That's all I've got on that one. That's all I have too until I see what actually comes of this. And I'm excited about following this. I'm going to be tracking it. I'm going to be all over it. Keeping
1: your finger on the pulse. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Our second news to news piece you guys need to know this week, IKEA will eliminate dairy products from menus by 2030 as it goes all in on sustainability. Ditching dairy to be people and planet positive, the company's new sustainability plan called People and Planet Positive, mm, it's very original, is targeting carbon emissions and resource reductions across IKEA's operations, including a focus on more plant-based food in its restaurants. The Swedish furniture giant says it will eliminate dairy products from its cafe menus by 2030 as part of the company's sustainability goals which include becoming climate positive by 2030.
1: This is why for beef and dairy every, all of us, to set climate positive goals is so important. And I think uh, we get a lot of pushback. I've seen a lot of pushback from people in dairy, specifically, I'll talk about dairy because that's just where I'm coming from, but probably in beef too, that are like, why do we have to set these like carbon neutral goals? Like dairy has a carbon neutral goal to be carbon neutral or better by 2050. And this headline is exactly why. So that we can be like, hey, IKEA, did you know that we actually set a goal to be carbon neutral? And like, we'd love to work with you on your carbon neutral goals so we can stay on your menu and work together for the betterment of the planet. And I feel like this is... It's like having a carbon neutral goal secures long-term future markets and making sure that we're on the menu where we want to be.
0: This is why I'm so happy you're my podcast co-host because I have never thought of that before. (laughs) I'm one of those people that actually is probably the negative Nancy that goes to the conference and is like, why are we setting this goal? Why do we have to do this? And the way you... Mm -hmm. The way you pointed that out and worded that really makes sense to me about the importance of joining the table with aligned goals that these larger corporations can look to agriculture as almost like peers for setting the same thing.
1: Absolutely. And it goes to those scope three emissions we've talked about before, that scope three emissions are what's happening on the farm for these large companies. And so if we're not aligned together, like their scope three emissions... Are us, and so we have mm-hmm. to be aligned in this conversation of what it's going to mean to actually get to this goal. But besides that, I feel like there's so many things we could talk about in this about this <laughs> news article.
0: Where my mind went when I read this was kind of greenwashing. So I feel for like sure. for everyone who's not familiar, IKEA is a furniture store. They have I we I didn't know this, but they have restaurants within them. So kind of, I guess like a Costco would have, you know, an eatery within it. So it's like a shopping dining experience in one. All new information for me too. Didn't know. For me, I feel like it's still going to be fast food. And I feel like what they're trying to do is slap some labels on it, make it fancy and upscale and call it, you know, whatever they want, sustainable, healthy, organic, low, you know, regenerative, sustainable, all of these different things. But at the end of the day, I feel like they're just greenwashing consumers further and tricking them into basically giving them what would be, in my opinion, probably unhealthy food and tricking people into think that they're eating, which is just the vegetarian, vegan, plant-based diet as a whole. So what's new? But it, I don't know. It kind of angered me. I'm like, I, I just can't stand greenwashing anymore.
1: So, I – two things on that. I feel like, one, I agree that, like, what – so, they were talking about, like, their smoothie is now going to be plant-based. So, like, that smoothie now is going to have less protein, less calcium than it did before, I'm assuming. I mean, we I guess we'd have to compare the menu, but probably pretty safe to stand on that rock. And um, so – you're not like solving, like you're not giving people the nutrients they need. So you're not doing anything like you're lowering the carbon footprint, but you have to have nutrients to like survive. So you're giving them food that maybe is quote unquote more sustainable, but it's less nutrient dense. So what good does that
0: do anyone? It reminded me of the paper you sent me a really long time ago. It's one of my favorite papers. And it talked a lot about how we make have to make sure as a society that we are not making consumer diets more unhealthy, chasing the sustainability And I think we're losing sight of that sometimes.
1: So another thing you mentioned was the organic and that one kind of frustrated me a little bit because I feel like it is, they have very carbon tunnel vision in my mind about the dairy thing. Like, oh, dairy has, you know, too much carbon, we're getting rid of it. But like organic, no matter like what camp or what side of this you're on, like organic has a higher carbon footprint than conventional. That's like, a known fact there's lots of other nuance in the conversation about what soil health and animal practices and all of those things are another piece of the organic conversation but the carbon footprint is lower for conventional so I'm like so you want a lower carbon footprint so you're removing dairy but you're not going to remove organic to also lower your carbon footprint so it just felt like they were just trying to make they were like hitting like those talking points kind of like you said I mean it's greenwashing you're right that it's like oh it's organic it's sustainable we're lowering our carbon footprint like all the things that consumers want to hear a company doing they just just like set it all without actually having maybe like a solid strategy in place. I don't know.
0: Do you think if we were in the boardroom with the shareholders of Ikea who are making these decisions and we asked them what regenerative agriculture is or the difference between conventional organic or some of these different terms that they're using, do you think they would be able to back them up and talk about them?
1: Oh, heck no. Absolutely not. I think if they did, I would be shocked.
0: That's frustrating to me. For sure.
1: I guess if it, there's...
0: Go ahead. As to say, it's also a problem. I mean, we talked about this before. We have been at a conference where we spoke to a very popular fast food chain that was making changes to their menu. And we asked, is this really what your consumers are asking for? And they were like, no, it's definitely coming from the shareholders. And I feel like shareholders yeah. are out of touch.
1: Oh, they definitely are with what's actually wanting to be purchased at the store. Um, one thing about this, if we can give one positive to IKEA here, I was glad to hear that they mentioned food waste. I mean, we know food waste is like a behemoth if it was a country to be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gas emissions. So I was thankful they actually addressed that because to me, that's a change you could actually make without changing
0: the nutrient content of your food and make a difference. I was very happy to see that. I do feel like that's one very important part of the conversation that's often left out of the conversation. And so to see them loop into it, people love to focus on the sustainability side, the plant-based side, the cutting meat side, the carbon footprint side. And I don't know why more conversations aren't had about the food waste. Like you said, it's a huge issue. And if we started addressing and solving it, we'd see major changes to our climate footprint, our greenhouse gas emissions. I think people forget landfills are a huge emitter of a lot of different things. It's, 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 a, it's, an, it's definitely a very good place to start. So I was happy IKEA looped that in.
1: Another little like area I got into was comparing the carbon footprints of things like furniture compared to carbon footprints of furniture compared to milk. And I think one of the things too that made me frustrated about this is that it's like them pointing to dairy as the problem without addressing like their packaging, how much cardboard they're using, what happens to their furniture when it's thrown away, what or when it's broken, if it's not great quality, like all of the things that are kind of like, I feel like we live in a world where it's everything is just like quick, affordable, cheap, not well made and like ends up getting thrown away. Like, why, are, like, let's address that IKEA of like making furniture that is good quality that will last to reduce carbon footprint long term.
0: That is such a good point, especially coming from IKEA. It's definitely the pot calling the kettle black. Is that the right saying? Did I say that right? That's the right saying. Yep. Did I get that right? I got that right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's the best part of the podcast right now is that I got a saying correct. <laughs> but yeah, for Ikea to point the finger, if we looked at the carbon footprint of the waste that comes from there, because everyone knows Ikea is like a quick fix. It's it's almost like comparing high fashion, sustainable, you know, long term like bags made out of leather that lasts forever versus high fashion, Um, not high fashion. What am I trying to say, Tara? Fast fashion. Fast fashion. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, fast fashion where, you know, we're disposing of things, returning them getting rid of them, wearing them once, yeah. twice before they fall apart. So very valid point. I just think it speaks volumes to how some of these companies would rather make these. Again, it's a greenwashing thing. It's easier for them to say, we're going to remove the meat from the menu and we're going to plant a couple trees. We're going to do whatever to be carbon neutral or carbon positive without actually having to invest money into making real sustainable changes within our operation. I but agree. not on our watch, oh. IKEA. We're calling you out. No. Not on our watch. We see you. And we're and we're, you mm-hmm, we're raising you. So the last thing I wanted to mention was a
1: couple of the final like thoughts of this article were alarming, to say the least. Um, a survey that was conducted by the global data revealed that 23% of global consumers are reducing their animal. Uh, animal protein consumption with 70% pointing to health and environmental benefits. So that was disappointing to see that almost one fourth of people are like thinking we, I need to give up meat, dairy, animal protein in order to be more sustainable
0: and healthy. It is, especially given those are the two pillars that I feel we have strong data to support (laughs) against the opposite, right? Yeah, like beef. Animal protein is, I don't know how many more times we can shout it to the rooftops, but it's so important for our bodies. It is such a nutritious, just high-density nutrient protein. So for them to make that change to try and be healthier, you know, it just breaks my heart. And the same thing from the environmental standpoint, I will die on the hill that cattle are one of the best things we can do for the environment, getting them out there grazing, having them ruminants. They're just ruminants, 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 you guys. And so again, to see that people, that marketing has misled so, misled so many people that they're wanting to make these change for an environmental reason, it just reminds us why it's so important that we're out there sharing the facts, our stories, you know, taking the stands for agriculture.
1: Last point, this one's going to maybe irk you as much as it did me. Another survey found that young people in particular are ashamed to order dairy in public.
0: Yeah, that one is really interesting. I thought it was surprising. I've never really thought about it. But then when I thought about it, it did make sense. So this weekend at the rodeo, I I ordered for the friend that I was with. I'm not a coffee girl, so I don't normally order. But she was like, can you get me a latte? Apparently, lattes have milk in them. So they asked me which milk or I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but the way it was worded to me really caught me off guard. It made me feel like I chose the wrong one or I should have chose plant-based and they had to clarify that I wanted whatever it was. I felt very awkward being asking for the, the whole milk. And so it reminded me of that situation in that moment where consumers, how many, how Copies do people order a day? How How many people are going through Starbucks and they're having to clarify about the milk? And if that many people feel awkward about it, it's just not good. One time I made a reel
1: about people not feeling guilty over water use in consuming beef. And I got so many messages from ag people that were like, no one has ever felt bad about eating beef because of water use. And this comment was like, I guarantee there is. I guarantee there's someone who has seen that billboard in LA that says like, you need to give up a shower for, th- you know, 3000 days for one hamburger or whatever it is. And um, thought, oh gosh, I shouldn't eat a hamburger. Like, it's a real thing that people are like being shamed into thinking they have to be plant-based in order to be healthy and sustainable.
0: All right. Should we jump to our third and final piece? Let's do it. All right, title Health Concerns Grow as Oklahoma Farmers Fertilize Cropland with Treated Sewage. So, this wasn't necessarily a news piece that broke, but more of, um, I wouldn't call it an opinion article either. I guess it was just kind of, I don't know, a story highlighting, bringing awareness. But basically, storytelling. Yeah. So, a number of rural Oklahomans who say sludge spread as fertilizer is putting their health at risk, destroying their quality of life, and contaminating drinking water, livestock, and crops with toxic PFAS, 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 PFAS. and other dangerous... Okay. And other... (laughs) <laughs> okay. How many words can I screw up on a podcast um, and other dangerous chemicals, but complaints about water and air pollution and health impacts to people and livestock haven't stopped farmers in Oklahoma from spreading treated sewage on their land. So that's kind of a breakdown of what the
1: article talked about. So to get right into this one, I don't know if you know this about me, but I got my degree in environmental science. Did you? Shocking. Had no idea. <laughs> Are we even friends? But what I wanted to say is I actually did my capstone course on wastewater treatment plants. And so reading this article just like brought up a lot of that like research that we were doing then. And I think one of the things like the biggest takeaway from this is like we have to do something with sludge. Like it's not pretty. No one wants to talk about it. It smells really bad. It's absolutely disgusting. And that comes from like two people who do a cow poop all day and like don't care about that. It's really gross. But we have to do something. And I don't think just throwing it in a landfill is the answer because you can't just throw in a landfill. It has to be a bio solids landfill, like, you know, a very intense landfill that is capable of handling that. So we have to figure out something to do with this. On the flip side of that coin, we have to do it in a way that does not put food, health, people, livelihoods at risk as well.
0: So I think you said that really well. We should just be done. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop done. (laughs) So I actually learned a lot. I have heard the term sludge and biosolid used before, but this is obviously something that we do not do in our operation. I don't have any neighbors that at least that I'm aware of that are in our area, even surrounding area, I would say like a pretty far radius that are doing this. So I did learn a lot about it. So for everyone tuning in that is maybe not familiar with it as our environmental scientist is, sludge is the leftover water from water waste treatment facilities. So every time you flush your toilet or the office does, or hospitals do that water goes to a processing facility. And part of it is processed, treated, sanitized, sterilized. And then there's the excess part that comes off of it. And what they're doing is recycling that and putting it on crops as an alternative to a fertilizer. Cause it's pretty high in nitrogen. But as Tara mentioned, while that one hand is great for, you know, repurposing, reusing, recycling, on the other hand, I'm not sure we have the best grasp on it yet as it is having detrimental effects whether that's to the environment or, you know, social, social, like neighbors experiencing different things. That article highlighted a lot. It actually focused on a couple of neighbors that talked about like fly load at their um, houses about uh, smell, about different things that were really affecting their quality of life. And I think at the core of that, that's one of the issues with this. It's like, where is the right of the farmer versus the right of the neighbor? I think for me, like stepping back, getting out of the weeds of this, it really comes down to funding, probably, which, shocker, is an issue in agriculture, right? We actually just interviewed Kim Stackhouse, which will come out later on, but she was talking about the lack of funding that goes into agriculture, and I feel like that is maybe one of the contention points here is that we need to spend more time, money, and energy into how we can make this biosolid better because I do think it's a really good idea to repurpose it. I just think we're missing the proper way to repurpose it.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you gave like kind of that background and information on what it is exactly. But going into kind of what I guess go I know I said i wasn't going into the weeds, but I'm gonna go into the weeds a little bit on the PFOs. Um, thing. Is, buckle up, you guys. I know, but I get so many DMS about PFOs would probably because people know I talk about it. So they just come. That's what I get DMs about. You sound like but, the
0: influencer. That's like for everyone asking.
1: My bag is <laughs> for all of the DMs I've been getting. I'll link the link to PFOS um, description <laughs> yeah. in the show notes. But <laughs> PFOS is a bunch of different chemicals, and they're forever chemicals, and they are kind of in everything. Um, and this isn't. This is a problem. I guess you were talking about the problem for the neighbors. The PFOS is a problem for the farmers, though. Uh, If you have a PFAS contamination on your site, we have a PFAS contamination just down the road from us. And it actually forced one of our dairy farmers, our neighboring dairy farmers out of business because of it. It has forced a a different kind of farmer. I think it's a vegetable farmer in Maine out of business. And what happens is these PFOSes get in our system and obviously then are excreted in our biosolids, not to get too graphic here, but then it goes out onto the land. And it is estimated that 20 million acres of farmland could be contaminated with PFOS because of sewage sludge. So we want farmers to dispose of this for all of us. Like this situation, it was Oklahoma City is where this sludge was coming from. So it's not like the farmers like created this. We're trying; They're trying to do something with this product, but then it's ultimately like contaminating their ground as well. So we have to figure out a better way to handle what's going on. But PFAS is just a behemoth of a problem that like, I mean, it needs studying at the most basic forms. Like we don't even fully understand anything about it yet. I was just going to say, can you test for PFAS in the soil or in the crops or anything like that? Yes, that's like a big part of my job, Natalie, <laughs> oh. for PFOS and things. <laughs> I'm glad you're paying attention when I tell me? you what I'm going out to do <laughs> first sampling. We definitely don't know each other.
0: <laughs> first time me- meeting. Nice to meet you. Love hosting this podcast with you. But, but I guess if the farmer's spreading it and they're potentially spreading PFOS, I don't get why the farmer would spread it then. That makes no sense to me. They didn't know. A lot of these farmers had no. I no one even knew.
1: No one tested for this because no one even knew this was going on. So in our like in our area, it was not from sludge. It was from firefighting foam, and so nobody was testing for PFAS. And so then when they tested it, like literally, the air, ours was from an Air Force base. They literally like sent us a letter and they were like, "Hey, by the way, we're gonna test your water. Like you're welcome." And then they tested all these wells and they were like, "Oh, oops, we like contaminated with PFAS. Like it was the first time anyone even heard the word PFOS for us. And I'm sure it's similar. For a lot of these farmers, they don't, they didn't even know this was a contamination that was happening until it was too late or like out of
0: control already. Extremely interesting. It's like a lose-lose situation right now.
1: That's why I'm like, I think that we in some way should all be like banded together on this. Like they kind of, I felt like this article a little bit pitted like the farmer against the neighbors. And I'm like, I like, I feel like
0: we should be banding together to figure out a better solution for biosolids. Oh, the article is definitely the point. Pitted one against the other. Again, from my limited knowledge, I felt like it was very much so the farmer was adamant in doing this and the neighbor was adamant in them not. And it was definitely a farmer versus non-farmer situation.
1: Interesting. They also made it a large farm versus small farm. They were like, no small farmers use it, only large farms. And the guy in Maine who's out of business is like an an average size farmer. Like, it's not a large versus small. It's not a neighbor versus farmer. Like, this is like, I feel like the greater good of mankind of figuring out what we're going to do with our
0: sludge. That's the point of this. So my, my rant, the other interesting thing after discussing all of this for me is that the article did cite how people have tried to push this through Senate or into law. And it never goes anywhere or it it dies. Yeah. Do you want to know why? Yes, I'd love to.
1: Because the cities would have to figure out how to pay for to deal with these contaminations. They'd have to admit fault that they potentially contaminated farmland, people's homes. I mean, this is like goes back to the Air Force base that we're kind of dealing with. Like if they acknowledge that they contaminated our water, they have to acknowledge they contaminated literally hundreds, if not thousands of sites across the United States. And so then all of these people are going to have to figure out how to remove PFAS from whatever, you know, the sludge. Like so the city Mm -hmm. of Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, is going to have to figure out how to remove all of these contaminants and who's going to pay for that? Where is that money going to come from to pay for all of this?
0: So not that, only do That's we have- my
1: p- opinion, at least.
0: So not only do we have our eyes on Ikea, but Oklahoma City, we see you too. We see you. We're watching you. <laughs> not on our watch, not on the Discovers, the Disco's watch that was actually my
1: first comment I was like poor Oklahoma City like this is a problem in every city in the United States and this poor article just like tore like up Oklahoma and I just felt bad for them
0: our neighbors to the south
1: my neighbors to the north you confused me for a minute I was like wait where is Oklahoma
0: (laughs) all right environmental girly anything else you want to add with that or is that our episode for the week that wraps it up oh I'm always so sad when they end I know. We did get on time today. Very proud of us. us. Yeah, me too. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Discover Ag, where every Thursday we cover the top three trending topics you need to know in the ag and food space. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend to listen, share it to their social channels, and take a second to leave us a review in the podcasting app. If you want more of us during the week, you can always follow us on Instagram at discoverag underscore at Natalie Kovarek and at Tara VanderDesen, as well as on our YouTube Discover Ag podcast. See you guys next week. See ya then